Good luck to you. This morning, Scripture, Romans 16, verses 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord, our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The word of God. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your direction that you give your churches. As we look back and and see what Paul or how Paul directed the church at Rome, Father, we can take a lot from this and we can learn how we should be directed and and how we should go forward as a church, Father. And we pray that you would cause us and help us to understand this passage in a greater way because we know, Father, without your spirit and without your guidance, it's impossible for us to understand your word. And so we seek the help and aid of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that the word I speak be not of me, but be of you and be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. We are quickly getting into the very home stretch of the book of Romans. Just probably a few weeks left in the book. I... uh, the last Sunday it is tentatively the plan. We don't know that it's set in stone, but the last Sunday of the month, I think JB is going to be here and we're going to have the ordination of Brady as an elder. And I think Nathan is going to come back and speak to us on that Sunday. So that's tentatively the plan. It could all go south depending on if JB will be here or not, but that, that is our hope for now. So my desire is to try to get this book finished up before we leave for vacation in a few weeks. So we have a few more weeks left. So in this passage, we see Paul, he shifts gears a little bit and he takes a little bit different approach because we started chapter 16 and you remember that he he introduces Phoebe to them and he asks them to protect and take care of this young lady named Phoebe and provide everything that she needs. And then he goes through a series of greetings and asks the leaders of the church at Rome to say hi to this person, greet this person in the Lord. And we talked about last week how we were to greet each other in the Lord. And, and Paul encouraged them to greet each other with a, with a kiss. Or we are to greet each other with a hug or whatever the situation. Greet differently and more than just what casual non-believers greet each other. And that was Paul's encouraging words in last week's verses that we looked at. Now Paul is going to shift gears and give the church a sort of final warning before he closes out this book. And I'm quite certain that Paul didn't come up with this warning without any experience as to what he's talking about. The church was young at this time. It was roughly 20 years old. 
but I'm quite certain that the attacks on the church were great during this 20-year period, and, and Paul had been able to see those attacks and understand those attacks, and so he was sending Rome a warning, a warning about what will likely come. And I think the warning is just as necessary today as it was in the time of Rome, perhaps even more so, because the attacks from the church or on the church today come at us in many different directions. So we're going to look at that this morning. The Bible teaches truth, and as a part of that truth, it teaches love, and it, it teaches us what love is, and it teaches how we are to love each other. However, culture teaches, and even some churches, separate the two and tend to focus on one at the expense of the other, which really makes no sense. It makes no sense at all, and it's extremely dangerous because if you think about it, without truth, we don't know what love is because if we are left to our own devices to come up with love, then we are creating this idea or notion of love through sin. And so that's the problem we have whenever we take society's view of love and try to interpose it on each other. That it's fallen. The world's love is wrong. It's adulterated. It's full of sin and it's created through sin and because of sin. The only true idea of love is the love we find through truth from God, because that's unadulterated, that's pure in every respect. And you see, what the world does a lot of times is is they look at God and they say, I don't know how that can be loving from God. Well, it's not loving in respect, you've created this idea of love that's false. God creates the absolute standard of love that's pure and good in every way. And so whenever they say, well, that's unloving, no, it's you don't know what love is, or we don't know and understand what love truly is. That, that's the problem. And we find ourselves entrenched in that battle throughout all of culture today, throughout churches all around the world. Churches embrace that philosophy as well. They ignore the truth in an attempt to demonstrate love. They ignore the truth in an attempt to demonstrate love. And what's worse than that is they even try to reinterpret the truth to make it fit their notion of love, right? The God of the Bible really wouldn't act this way or say this or require this because it just doesn't seem loving well we don't understand what God's love is we'll never understand it fully but we definitely don't understand it as it comes through the lens of sin alternatively there are those who choose truth over love and in place of love there's always someone somewhere looking for that next argument, right? Wanting to be right and wanting to make sure the truth is said, no matter what. And unfortunately, they leave out 
the love that is included in the truth. The truth is pure and it's full of God's love. They're constantly sifting through everybody's doctrine to the point that they don't take the time to demonstrate God's love that he has for everyone. Now there's a tension that exists between the two extremes. There's a tension that exists between truth and the love that comes from that truth and those that want nothing to do with the truth that espouse to know God's love. Now while there are those that cling to the truth and at the expense of love, I will tell you that those are far fewer than those that cling to society's view of love at the expense of truth. That's the going thing these days. That's what society wants everyone to do. To view love through the word of God is extremely unpopular. It's not what the world appreciates, nor do they even attempt to put up with. You can be referred to as a fundamentalist, as closed-minded, as arrogant. If the truth says there's only one way to heaven, then aren't you being arrogant? If the truth says that this is sin, then aren't you being arrogant? And we know that love, Corinthians 13, is not arrogant, right? But that's a label that the world puts on those who try to stand by the truth of God's world, God's word. If there is no absolute truth, then it just becomes a matter of might. If there's no truth to fall back on, it becomes an opinion of someone, and whoever is the strongest is the one that will rule with that opinion. It becomes a majority rule type of situation if you take the truth of God out of it. The strongest and mightiest among us get to decide what is right or wrong, and the rest are simply out of luck and must fall in line. So Paul is addressing these issues this morning in this text, and, and I find it a very appropriate, appropriate text. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers... I appeal to you. He's he's encouraging the church at Rome to be cautious, basically begging them, warning them to watch out for certain types of people. Be on the lookout for these people that he's getting ready to describe. Now, why is he saying that we should be on the lookout for these types of people? Because they cause divisions and create obstacles or stumbling blocks in the church. Now there is a paradox here, and I hope that I can show you the paradox that it was, is within this passage, and it can make it a little difficult. T- Paul is telling the church to watch out for those that cause divisions and create stumbling bo- blocks. So there is a sense of unity. That's his desire. His desire here is for the church to be united. 
So it is unification of the church. But if we watch out for those who cause the, div- the divisions, the desire is unity. But what does he want us to do whenever we find these people? We are to avoid them. So in one sense, he's saying we want the church to be united in watching out for people that cause divisions, but whenever we find these people with division that are divisive and create obstacles, avoid them altogether. Straight up, avoid them. So, do you see the paradox? The, the unity of the church that Paul is wanting here comes at the expense of those who teach a doctrine contrary to what was taught, or to the Word of God. And I just answered my question, why are we supposed to avoid these people? Because they teach a doctrine, they teach a foundation that is not the truth, that is in fact contrary to the truth, that is at odds with the gospel, and at odds with the Word of God. Paul tells us to avoid them altogether. Avoid them altogether. Don't have fellowship with these people. You say, well, are we not to be welcoming? Seems unloving. We'll throw that back out there, right? Seems unloving. The world would tell you if you avoid somebody because they disagree with you, then you are not loving them. Right? That's our sinful definition of what love is. Paul's desire is to protect the church. Every Christian's desire should be to protect the church and the gospel. But the answer is absolutely yes, we are to be welcoming and loving to all people. However, in this passage, Paul tells us to break off fellowship with certain people. I'll read verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they they deceive the hearts of the naive. 2 John, the Apostle John says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not let him in your house. Don't even greet that person. Just bring to mind any, any groups of people. How many of you let Jehovah Witnesses in, sit down, come have a cup of coffee? Clearly, that just pops to my mind, but that, that's clearly a situation that we have. Those are obvious because that teaching so contradictory to what we teach. But here, the Apostle John tells us the same thing. Do not allow him into your home. Do not even greet him at all. So this warning is a warning as to people that attack the very foundations of the gospel, the very foundations of our faith. It was dangerous in 55 AD, 
when Paul wrote this, it's dangerous in 2022 as we look at it this morning. Now you recall a few months back we went through Romans 14 and we dealt a lot with unity. As a matter of fact, unity has been a theme of Paul for a very long time and we looked at Romans 14 and Paul talks about unity. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So we went through these verses for several weeks, and these verses teach a lot about unity in his church. And a matter of fact, even verse 5 says, one person esteems one day over the other, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You can't get any more existential than that, right? So here is Paul's, Paul is saying that unity is of great importance. And we should strive to seek unity in the church. And yet we see now in chapter 16 that that Paul is saying that we should avoid certain people for the sake of unity in the church. To keep the church or keep harmony in the church. So, So how do we reconcile these two passages? If you recall, I took an extra week. I went back and went over this passage again so as there there to be no doubt what Paul's talking about. Paul was addressing issues that were non-essential to the faith. Drinking wine that was not kosher, eating meat sacrificed to idols, Those weren't essential doctrines of the church. So whenever we deal with those types of issues, we are to have a goal of unity above everything else. There weren't doctrinal issues. There were people that were getting upset because some folks would drink wine that wasn't kosher or some folks would eat meat sacrificed to idols and there was divisions that were causing, being caused in the church. Paul said, don't do that. Don't do that. These issues are between the person and God. If, they're, if you're eating meat sacrificed to idols, eat the meat sacrificed to idols to the glory of God. If you're abstaining from meat sacrificed to idols, abstain from meat sacrificed to idols to the glory of God. So whether you eat or abstain, whatever you do, do it for the, to the glory of God. And that was the point Paul was trying to make in this 14th chapter of Romans that is a drastically different situation than we see here in 16 if I would have been able to go from 14 to 16 I wouldn't have needed to come back and tell you what Paul wasn't saying in chapter 14 
So Paul tells us to avoid these people in verse 17, and then he continues on in verse 18. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They don't serve the Lord. These people that bring a different gospel, these people that say something that isn't what the Word of God says, they don't serve our Lord Christ. How is that? Serving Christ is hard. If it's not hard, you ain't doing it. Serving Christ is difficult because when you open this word, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between the bone and the marrow. You're going to read stuff in here that's going to make you feel like a heathen. That's the point. That's the point. That's when we grow closer to God as we realize who we are as sinful individuals. You're going to read stuff in here that you'd really rather skip over. Right? But we can't because we serve the Lord. Paul says... These people that we are to avoid, they don't serve the Lord Christ. But instead, what do they serve? Their own appetites. Serving the Lord Christ means that we are to die to our flesh daily. It requires that we see our sin and we fight our sin. It is a battle. If you're not in the battle, you're not serving the Lord. Instead, they're serving their own appetites, serving their own desires. What a beautiful contrast between chapter 14 and chapter 16 because we can see that Paul did not mean in chapter 14. We ignore everything and focus on unity in the church and love each other and everybody holds hands and sing kumbaya and we're all one happy family. We know from 16 that's not what he meant in 14. These people that don't serve our Lord Christ, they're only doing what they're doing because it appeals to their flesh. It appeals to their own appetites. These folks come in and they will tell you, it's okay. Right? It's not a big deal. Whatever you do, it's your business and whatever I do is my business and I'm not here to judge anybody or anything or tell you anything's right or anything's wrong. You can get that information on the street corner, folks, because that's how society acts. That's not what the Word of God says. They want everybody to be okay with everything. They believe there's love in that type of peace. Don't judge me. Don't judge each other. No, don't judge me if I eat meat sacrificed to idols, but if I'm doing something that the Word of God tells me I'm not supposed to be doing, tell me about it. 
If we have church members that's drinking wine that's not kosher, great, do it to the glory of God. I'm not going to judge you over that. We have church members that's doing stuff that the Bible clearly says isn't godly, then that should bother us. That should invoke within us a desire to love that person by saying, look, that ain't right. That ain't right, but we've, we've lost that sense because we've let society dictate to us what we should or shouldn't do as a church. Now, we're never going to agree on everything, right? Every single word that's in the Bible, we're not going to because we see through a glass dimly. But we definitely can see the major doctrines and foundations in the Word of God and and what they look like and what God intended and what God didn't intend. It's fairly obvious. And there are certain things that strike at the very heart of the gospel. I think that's what we have to look at. Whenever we have a litmus test is, does whatever is going on or whatever is being said or whatever has been promoted, does it strike at the heart of the gospel? Does it strike at the very foundation of the word of God? If it does, I think we have to take a stand on that. And I think we have to deal with that. So Paul tells us to walk away from these people. Avoid them. But I would say that that might be the second thing that we do. Remember Peter in Galatians 2 and Paul when he wrote about his situation with Peter in Galatians 2? Remember what was going on with Peter? Peter was acting one way when he was around Jews and then turned around and acting another when he was around the Gentiles. Paul confronted him straight up in public. That was the love that Paul had for Peter. The world would tell you that was very unloving, right? That was confrontational. It was awkward. It was hateful. You don't love somebody if you do that for them. Paul said, no, that's what love is. Love says... Peter, you're not, you're being a hypocrite. Peter admitted his error and he returned. That's loving confrontation. That's loving Peter enough to do that, to help point that out in his life. It would have been much easier for Paul to avoid that altogether, right? I'm sure it didn't bring Paul a great deal of joy to have to call out his buddy and say, look, you're being hypocritical in front of everybody. He could have just, you do you, I do me, we're not going to worry about each other. Because that's what the world tells us to do, and so Paul could have done that. He said, that's not what the Word of God tells me. And Paul chose truth over this thing theoretical idea of worldly love because in Paul's truth was God's true love. Conflicts are not pleasant, they're not fun, yet sometimes they're necessary. And Peter knew that Paul loved him. Knew without a doubt. Peter knew that Paul wasn't just trying to embarrass him. He knew that he was calling him out for his own 
good, his eternal good. That is what God calls us to do. We can work with them, we can be around them, but Paul tells us our association with them must change. Life as normal can't go on the way it did. These people that bring the false teaching, the false doctrine. If we allow it and allow it to continue, a little leaven ruins the whole loaf, right? Are these people inherently mean? No. They're not inherently mean. As a matter of fact, they're friendly, nice, would seem worldly, compassionate. The problem is they want to create their own belief about what God approves and disapproves and how the church should act instead of what God says is the case. They use words that tickle your ears and on a fleshly side make sense to you. They do. The doctrine seems to create unity, but in reality, it divides and creates stumbling blocks. They engage in flattery and deceit. Verse 19, as we wrap this up. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So Paul is telling them, you have a great deal of obedience, and you're known all over the region as a wonderful, obedient church, and he commends them for that. And he rejoices with them because they are obedient. But he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So it's sort of like a small child, right? You see a small child and they they know the good things, the pure things, the the innocent things. They they know that and they're not wise as to what is evil. And so this church, 20 years old, they didn't understand exactly what it was all about, how they were going to be attacked, how people were going to come in and try to get their way within the church. And so Paul tells them, I'm giving you this to protect you. Stand firm in the Word of God. Stand firm in His truth and avoid those that come in and say things that isn't what God desires, what His Word says. Avoid them. Stay away from them. The church did not practice what was evil, and and that was good, but part of that danger is they didn't know what was evil either. And so if we don't know that, then it creeps in. If we're not aware of how it can come in and the attacks that can be made on the church, we let it in, sounds good to us, we embrace it, and then it is division. It is basically the end of the church. So this was a warning that Paul sent them. I think verse 19 sums up 17 and 18 beautifully and that it was Paul's desire for the church at Rome to continue the teachings of that he had taught them and that others had taught them. But be on guard 
always have your guard up. Never allow someone to come in and start teaching something that is contrary to Scripture. Or more or less change Scripture to suit themselves or their own desires or their own fleshly desires and wants. We live in a time when the church is being attacked from every angle. All over the world, but especially here in America. And we have to be diligent to make sure we treat false doctrine the way it should be treated. That we don't let it infiltrate. And we deal with it correctly and accordingly. We simply cannot coddle those who desire to change the gospel. End of story. If we coddled it, then it gets a foothold in, and as I said, a little leaven ruins the whole loaf. That's why Paul says, don't associate with them. Avoid them. Because if you coddle, if you hem and haw and are not deliberate, it will destroy the church. And Paul knew that. And that was exactly why he was writing this to the church in Rome. Coddling is not the love of God. We run the risk of destroying the gospel if we don't stand up from the go- for the gospel. Paul has given us a blueprint on how to deal with it. Go to the person out of love and correct them according to God's word. If they refuse to reject their false teaching or false way of thinking, then we're left with no choice but to avoid them. Very clear what Paul tells us. Stand strong on that instruction. It is good, it is proper, and it is love. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for Paul's teachings, teachings that are difficult, that are difficult because of our flesh, because of what we've been taught as we've lived in this society for so many years, Lord. But Father, we know that your gospel and your church is more important than anything else. And we just pray that you give us as leaders of your church, as single Christians that are members of your church, to be able to see false doctrine, to be able to call it out, Lord, and to be able to avoid those who um, wish to perpetuate false doctrine, Lord, that in the end, you are glorified. And we pray, Lord, for the courage to be able to go forward. And Father, we thank you that we're able to gather together in fellowship with each other. We thank you for the food that's been provided for us, Lord. We ask that you bless it to the nourishment of our bodies, Father, and may our fellowship bring you glory. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.